Well, good morning, everybody. <laughs> Happy Father's Day to you dads. Uh, Bill East, like I was talking to him in the lobby, he was telling me he has six, 15 great-grandchildren. Uh, you know, that's remarkable. And then what's even more remarkable was he said, and I know all their names. <laughs> that's pretty impressive, especially for we guys. And uh, my friend Chase, thank you. And we are so grateful to have the Bent Oak congregation with yeah, us. Thank you. It's a great day to be together on Father's Day. Um, you have, uh, well, where do we even start? First of all, we we're just talking about Ben Oak. You are the founding pastor of that amazing congregation. And uh, we're so proud of you. We're so glad to be partnered with, with you. You want to just say a word of kind of, because you used to work on staff yeah. here. I've known you for years, uh, you and Ashley and y your wonderful family. Um, uh, I did your wedding, uh, right. yeah. and we, we've been friends for many years. But um, how did Ben Oak kind of birth? Yeah, well, I always have a hard time explaining when I was at Central. I was here the first time Jim left. Yeah. So when, in his first itineration as thanks, pastor of Central Assembly, for it that not way. the current one, I was here. So, uh, yeah, I had a privilege to work in communications and with the youth department and serve across the church. And uh, whenever Pastor Jeff Peterson was here, there was a summer where we were taking some Sunday nights off, and we decided to do a little Bible study in my in-law's basement. And we started doing that through the summer, and by the end of the summer, most of the people coming weren't attending church anywhere, and we just had a sense from the Lord that there was something about that group of people and our time together. And uh, Pastor Peterson's credit, you know, he really blessed that and said, you should just see what God does with it. So for three years, we met on Sunday nights in a home. Um, I was working as well elsewhere, and uh, through that process, we just began to sense this was something God was calling us to dedicate our time to, and so we got official with the state, filed all the paperwork, and became a church, and uh, that's been 10 years ago now, so we uh, rent months. space from the, or from the um, uh, Grace Classical Academy over on Cherry Street, mm -hmm. and are really grateful to be together. So many of our congregants have roots here at Central as well, and um, just a church we care a lot about as well, so we're grateful to be here. Uh, Chase is a phenomenal Bible teacher and preacher, and uh, just I learned everything from Jim. Guy. That's the no. secret. So that was, um, just follow and, uh, Jim. So. When does your service meet? Uh, Ten o'clock. So it was very easy to get yeah. here this okay. morning. So. Yeah. And by the way, thanks to the Central family for adjusting. Normally we do nine and ten forty-five, but thanks for adjusting for a special day like this. Uh, this is uh, awesome to be together like this on Father's Day, and because we have so many college students away for the summer and so many people traveling and vacationing on a given weekend, we can sort of have the room to pull this off. This is great to be together. Chase is also a wonderful podcaster. Um, he, he has a very successful podcast uh, called the Pastor Writer Podcast. How many have you put out there now? Uh, I think it's almost 200 episodes. 200 so, episodes. Yeah, and you have amazing guests. I mean, some really famous authors, writers. I think Max Lucado was on your 100th podcast. Mm -hmm. And You've done uh, people from all kinds of backgrounds. Jim Bradford's been on there before, too, yeah. so very famous people. Yeah, except I don't write, but... Um. I feel like I need to do an intro for you as well. Do you so, know he was a rocket well, scientist, well, PhD? See, That's <laughs> he's squirming because we're changing. We also do a podcast together. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called the Jim Bradford Podcast, where I'm, I'm usually the guest every week, and, uh, and, and Chase facilitates that conversation. So earlier this week, I think we just recorded our 96th podcast comes out once a week. That, that episode will come out in a few weeks on leadership, and we're walking through the pastoral epistles right now together. So anyway, you're such a great friend. Yeah, Love working you. with you. Just a word on this Father's Day about your family. 
Yeah, so we, uh, my wife's here as well, and I've got two kids that were excited. I think they're in the kids' area, so I don't see them with her, so that's a good sign. Uh, they, uh, my son, Will, is eight, and uh, my daughter, Charlotte, is five. You just wrote an amazing book um, that is getting uh, actually a lot of visibility right now. You are on Good Mer Morning America. How many saw that on Friday in their faith segment? Uh, boy, that would be terrifying. <laughs> but you just stepped up to it and knocked it out of the park. You just did a great interview on, uh, on um, Good Morning America about your book, and it's getting a lot of... Uh, um, it's becoming a very, very popular book, and thank you to your church for buying this so that whatever money we leave there to get a book will go to Pregnancy Care Center. But the five masculine instincts, um, what, what led you to write that book? And you, it was interesting to me, you didn't entitle it Five Masculine Traits or Five Masculine Characteristics or five masculine, why don't you get this, you know. Um, Problems, yeah. Yeah, pro yeah. instincts. So how did all of this come about? Yeah, sure. So, well, I'm a pastor, so I've got a congregation full of men. I'm raising a son, grew up with a brother and a father. And I've witnessed over the last few years, as many of you probably have, how it's become complicated, sometimes controversial, um, to have a conversation about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a Christian man. And when we do have that conversation, I noticed often those things tend to be about the externals. So the expectations of men in the church, we often jump very quickly to the role men are supposed to play in families or in, in congregations. Uh, C.S. Lewis at one point in The Abolition of Man talks about humans being made of three components, that we have a head and a stomach. By our head, we have ideals, the things we believe in. By our stomach, our appetites. And he described how, in his day, education was robbing men of this third element that he called a chest. And yeah. he described it as a muscle that had to be cultivated. And it was by this chest that we, we regulated between our head and our stomach, our ideals and, and our desires. Whenever we have almost exclusively external conversations around who men should be and how men should behave and what they should or shouldn't be interested in, the thing we often don't talk about is what's going on inside of a man. And I think it's that internal conversation, how do I develop character and virtue, that actually prepares us as men to be able to serve families well, to serve a congregation well. So I settled on the word instinct, uh, you get a little more C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis defines an instinct as behavior as if from knowledge. So in other words, we act and behave as if we've decided to do it, when oftentimes we haven't. We're acting out of an impulse or an instinct that we've not actually considered. One of the things I think a good book can do is it can give us language to have conversations that maybe things we had felt or experienced but didn't know how mm -hmm. to talk about. So what I hope this book does is I hope it gives men or anyone who reads it the language they need to better understand some of those instincts that maybe they've never considered before. And by what they have through Christ, through the gospel, check those instincts so that they could mature them into something better. That internal work of building a chest, growing that muscle. Yeah, I, th I think language is really important for us to have language we can use in this. Uh, do you mind giving us a short list of the five instincts? Yeah, sure. You made this point. I think it's important. These are not the five expectations of men. You have to have these to qualify. They're also not the five sins. I actually think they're good things that when they become ultimate things, disordered things can, can lead to destruction. Yeah. 
And I actually got the five instincts from, there's a famous monologue in one of Shakespeare's plays, the opening lines will be familiar, all the world's a stage, and each of us men and women have our entrance and our exits. And Shakespeare goes on to say that a man in his day plays several parts, and he describes these stages, the seven stages of man, the first and last are birth and death. And then in between, you get these from a boy to what we might call retirement years. So I took each of these Shakespearean images, gave it a single word, and paired it with a biblical character, their story, to maybe begin recognizing it in your life. So those five instincts are sarcasm, adventure, ambition, reputation, and apathy. Again, can be good things, but when they become ultimate things, as you see in the biblical stories, can actually lead to destruction as well. Yeah, and you, in a very ingenious way, attach a biblical character to one of those. It's, re it's really insightful. Why, why would sarcasm lead that? I, I use the story of Cain to talk about sarcasm. Um, if you've preached on right. the story of Cain and Abel, as I'm sure you have, or if you've read commentators, the big question you have to try to unpack is, why does God reject Cain's sacrifice and not Abel's? You can read motives and read between the lines, but the truth is the text doesn't tell you just that God rejected it. But what struck me about that story is God actually comes down and initiates a conversation with Cain. Cain has an opportunity to ask God why. God says to him, why is your face downcast? Don't you know that sin is crouching at your door and its desire is to rule over you if you don't rule over it? All Cain has to do is say, well, why? <laughs> why did you reject my sacrifice? But instead he ignores that divine lesson, rises up and murders his brother. And then when God comes back a second time and says to him, where is your brother Abel? Of course you get this line, am I my brother's keeper? Right, yeah. There's a kind of sarcasm that's sarcasm. obviously just a funny joke, hopefully better than some of the dad jokes we've already heard this yeah, morning. Yeah, sorry about those. Uh, but there's also a kind of sarcasm that can be a cover for contempt. There's yeah. a kind of instinct within us as men that oftentimes can make everything a joke, that can refuse to take anything seriously, that can feel like any time somebody points to something in your life and challenges you, that it's unjust and unfair and feels a need to fight back against it. Yes. It's that yeah. kind of perpetual immaturity you see in Cain, it, the sarcasm's a cover for that contempt. And so I try to warn men, be careful, have a good joke, be sarcastic with your friends, but make sure that sarcasm isn't becoming a way of being or a way of avoiding the lessons God's trying to lead you into. Right, right. Um, sometimes we as dads are, are the target of, a, let's take sarcasm one step farther and let's go to flat out cynicism. Mm -hmm. Seems to be a lot of cynicism. It bothers me watching like ads on TV and, you know, I'd say in two thirds of them, who's the jerk? It's it's the dad, not the mom. It's the man, not the woman. Um, I haven't watched Simpsons in a while, but... <laughs> I never have, so... It, it, it was, you know, you got Homer, the father, and Bart, the really cynical, amoral son, who just makes his dad look like such a loser all the time. And, and Bart's cynicism is almost overwhelming uh, in some of those episodes. And... Um, you know, how, how, do, how, do we, how do we, as men, obviously, I'm not asking how do we keep our hearts from cynicism, but how do we navigate the culture right now when it's almost politically incorrect to first of all say there's a difference between a man and a woman, and then, and then where manhood, where we put in the stake like we do biblically and say there are men and God wants strong men and good men, 
Um, how do we navigate just that barrage of cynicism back towards that and that demeaning of manhood? Yeah, well, I'm grateful for today as a starting point just to say, which sounds like such a fundamental thing, but I think it's worth saying that it's, it's a good thing to be a father. It's an honorable thing. You, we've been talking yeah. through Paul's letters to Timothy. He has this way of often saying, um, here's a good and trustworthy saying, right? right? Like, it is a good and trustworthy saying to remind yourself, it is good. It is a good thing to be a father. And it's also a good thing. We read in the beginning, God created man and woman, and that it was good. It is yeah. good to be a man. God has created it as a responsibility to bear, but in bearing that responsibility, there's a good thing and a pursuit worth pursuing. That seems fundamental, but I think right now it's important to say. Yeah. Um, I do worry that in our culture, we've set the bar so low for men, and then we're shocked when they only rise to that low bar, right? Yeah. Um, you do. You see it in every sitcom, every commercial. The husband's always giving, the dad's always giving the worst advice and breaking right. things, not fixing things. Yeah. Um, and I hope the church could be a kind of place where we avoid some of those cliches. Yeah. Uh, to be honest with you, I struggle with this one a little bit because even writing for men, I hear from publishers all the time, men don't read, you know, men aren't interested in a book like this. They, it's, it's too deep. It's too, too deep. philosophical at yeah. points. I mean, you hear this from actual publishers. Yeah, there well it is too. again. Yeah, I see. And so we do, we set this bar so low and some of that is for us as men, the responsibility to say, even when culture may not have high expectations, God has given me something valuable to steward, both in this gender, but also in this calling as a father, if you are one. And it's worth it for me to do that well. And that's going to mean challenging things that maybe I could get by without challenging. It's going to mean taking responsibility for things that maybe is acceptable to not take responsibility for. Fatherhood itself is often played out as something that you can run from when it's not. So I think the church has to begin to be a place where we don't slip into just easy caricatures or easy cliches. But as men and women, we're all saying we do better when we're raising strong boys into men. We're doing well when we're raising fathers who engage fatherhood and take right. up that responsibility. And, you know, one of the things that, to give Jim credit, much of the book is based on that little advice Paul gives Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, to learn to watch your life closely and the teaching closely. Right. I know, and you can speak to this because I know that's been a really important verse for you, but that's the little <laughs> model I try to use in the book. How as men do we pay closer attention to our instincts and our motives? I'm not right. going to turn a blind eye toward it. I'm going to look hard at why I yeah. do the things I do. But I'm not on my own in that work. I also pay close attention to what I have in Christ. And when I get those two attentions right, paying closer attention to my behavior, paying closer attention to the power of the gospel in my life, that's how I begin to make progress. I think I'm a sort of left foot, right foot, left foot, right, right. foot. But I know that verse has been really important <clears throat> to you too. Yeah, for over 20 years I've carried that. That's 1 Timothy 4, 16. Pay close attention to your life and to your doctrine. Uh, Timothy was there to correct false doctrine in the Ephesian church. Pay close attention to your life and to your doctrine so that in the end you will save yourself. That's what caught my attention. I'd like to survive this. In the end you'll save yourself and those who hear you. Yeah, which I always take that as you'll bear responsibility. Well, exactly. I don't think that's just the pastoral promise. I think that's a promise for fathers as well, too. If you want to bear responsibility well, because he says you'll show the progress you're making by doing this. If you want to know how to grow, if you want to know how to become a better man, a better yeah. father, that's the work. And by that work, you'll serve better in all of those responsibilities God's put under you. Exactly. So if we go that journey uh, down that road, how do we... Because there's a certain confidence in who we are and the role and influence we do play uh, that God wants to give us as men. Um, and yet the Lord calls us to, you know, walk humbly before the Lord. How do you, 
How do you see confidence as a man and yet humility that is supposed to mark every follower of Christ? Yeah, this is another area where I think you've done great work. I think your definition of humility is something like an accurate view of yourself, right? Is that how yeah, you word yeah, it's it? an accurate assessment of yourself without needing to be the center of attention. Yeah, I think that's a great definition. I, use, I write about humility in the book, and the definition right. I use of humility is self-suspicion. Yeah. That we live I in an age of, yeah. of self-affirmation and self-esteem and uh, self-promotion, self-expression, that as Christians, part of what we do that's so different from the world is pause to say, maybe what I feel is wrong. Right. Maybe what I think is wrong. And this is the Cain story. Maybe God is doing something that feels unjust and painful to me, that actually by His grace is growing me into something better if I can receive that divine lesson that He's offering. Um, Cain's story ends, by the way, with he's lost in the land of Nod, right? It's Hebrew for wandering, this sort of perpetual lost wandering. Humility, I think, is the thing that cracks the door open to not just grow into the best you can do, but to allow God to begin to take that responsibility for maturing you and growing you as well. Um, And that's hard. I think meekness is the active side of that. Meekness is um, a willingness to say, I don't have to react to everything, but I can pause my reaction and by humility, I can pause my instinct, I can pause my ideas, and instead entertain the idea that maybe there's something I have to learn here. Maybe there's something God's doing. And that's such a small thing, but I really think that's the beginning of all the growth that God wants to work in our life, as men, as women, as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's brilliant. Yeah, uh, that, that um, being suspicious of ourselves in a godly way. Well, that was incredibly enlightening uh, when uh, you unpacked that. You just that learned case. to, I mean, I think you feel this, you learned to not trust yourself. How often I'm wrong. How often exactly. what I feel is not what, exactly. and how often what I think God is doing may not actually be the thing God is doing. So I at least want, sometimes it is, sometimes you're right. Yeah. But at least that pause to entertain the idea. Yeah. And it still leaves room for confidence in what the Lord is doing in our lives and who we are as, as men. Um, boy, I'm loving this, Chase, because. Normally in our podcast, you're asking me all the questions and adding insights as we go. So I really love putting you on the spot here. On there. Just, this is really good. I'm you like, have notes. I don't have anything. I'm liking this notes. really. Maybe we should change the Jim Bradford podcast to the Chase Replogo um, <clears throat> podcast moving forward. Um, so you became a dad a few years ago. Mm. What happened inside of you when you became a dad? Yeah, maybe we could both reflect on this one, too. Okay. Uh, no, you're not uh, supposed to do that. To you're me. a father as well. I'm the interviewer. This was a pivotal moment in my life for many ways. Um, whenever Ashley and I had our first, um, our son, Will, Ashley had gone through all sorts of complications with the pregnancy, preeclampsia that developed into HELP syndrome and really was in a pretty dangerous spot. And, uh, when Will, our son, was finally born, he came out not breathing. My wife's a nurse. So she, along with all the other nurses and the doctors in the room, knew right away what was happening and what needed to be done. I went to seminary. I had no idea what was going on or needed to be done. And I had this strange, thankfully, you know, they were able to get him breathing. And Ashley had a few more scares, but eventually was able to recover from it and healthy and doing great. But I had this mixed feeling of the recognition of the responsibility in that moment. Uh, I think often mothers become mothers over nine months, and dads, it happens in a moment, and there's that child. Uh, The responsibility of it, and also the realization of how I can't fully protect this child the way that I would want to. Standing there realizing 
I can't fix what is, I don't even know what is wrong, let alone how to fix what is wrong. Right. That, that combination really struck me in a pretty profound way. One of the things I did is I became safety dad, right? I never, I've broke several bones, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to risk, but now it was like, everything that needed to be padded or locked, or it took eight years for us to get a trampoline, and that was only once it had netting and padding on all of the poles. Uh, but I'm more and more aware that you can't, you can't do it. You can't fully protect your children, not just in physical ways, but the pain of the world, the brokenness of the world, the brokenness of their own sins. And there can be, and I think as, in us as men, if we can't do it, if I can't know I'm going to be successful, then I would rather not try. There can yeah, be a disengagement right. yes. because of that risk and that yeah. vulnerability. But I'm coming to realize more and more that that is what fatherhood is. The, the word responsibility of fatherhood, we just get responsibility from responsive. It just means showing up and being present. And one of the things the people from my church often hear me say is, one of the best spiritual disciplines I know is just showing up. Showing up There's yeah. so much God is willing to do and take responsibility for if we're just willing to put ourselves in that position. And I think that's the task for us as fathers. You will not be an expert. You will not always get it right, nor will you always be able to protect them the way you wish you could. But the most important first thing is presence, yeah. to be there to show up into your child's life and to be present with them. And so that's the thing more and more, particularly as they get older and those dangers get more and more. They're not teenagers yet, so that's when this will really be a test of my philosophy. But uh, how, do I, uh, how do I just be present and be willing to admit to my children at times, it is hard. And this life does throw challenges at you, and I don't always have the answer. But I do have God, and I do have faith, and I can show up and bring that presence into their yeah. life as well. Yeah. Because at the heart of our faith is the God who showed up in our world. God loved the world so much he sent his own son. And he met us in all our pain and brokenness uh, through the ordeal of the cross. So to, to ha have a faith where God becomes the victim so that he can show up in our lives is really, to me, never loses its stunning reality. It's, it's, there's nothing else well, and I'm like struck it. by the idea that God takes responsibility for us as well. Yeah, if you exactly. define responsibility as responsive, yeah. that he actually shows up in our life yeah. and is willing to take responsibility for our salvation if we will just humble ourselves and trust him. Um, it takes us back to that Cain thing. God yeah. is willing to lead you and guide you and discipline <laughs> and redeem you and save you and give you a future better than you could imagine if you're just willing to submit yourself to it and receive that, yeah, just like fatherhood itself. Very profound. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul said to husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church, laying his life down for it. But as many ways, that's how we love our kids too, isn't it? Um, just being their presence. I know I always, when my girls were really little and we're playing mindless games like shoots and ladders and house sometimes. And, um, <clears throat> You know, it was very, it was a challenge to be fully present, you know. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't enough of mathematic equations to keep your mind entertained, shoots and ladders. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have to confess to coming up with more than one sermon while I was playing shoots and ladders. <laughs> yeah, your mind's just totally somewhere else, but, and I feel a little bad about that. I mean, I feel like I... <clears throat> probably cheated, we had two daughters and probably cheated them a little that way. Um, so presence is huge. I, I noticed on your interview Friday at Good Morning America, 
that was one of the last questions to you. What, what advice would you give to dads? I thought it was brilliant the way you answered that question in terms of show up, be there, presence. And uh, our God has certainly set the pace for us there in a wonderful way. And he, he, also, <clears throat> he also defines this relationship that we have with him as a father-child relationship, isn't it? Like, like we get to be children of his. He is our heavenly, our heavenly father. I was thinking about that, that, that Jesus, the one who viewed himself as being sent by his father to die on a cross so that our father could redeem us, bring us to, back to himself, change our hearts. Um, this idea of God as father, it, it tends to like grow as the biblical revelation grows. You, you don't see a lot of it in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, but suddenly there's a hint of it when God's calling Moses and says, I want you to, to lead my people who have been in slavery for 400 years. I want you to confront Pharaoh and tell, the, tell Pharaoh to let them go. And he puts it this way. He said, tell Pharaoh that Israel is my firstborn child. Israel is my son, and so let my son go so that he may worship me. And this is really the first sort of self-revelation God, of God, not as that personal God, that I am who I am, as the almighty God and the other names we could give to God, but this is, this is God beginning to take on a father role. And um, Moses would later write in Deuteronomy, which was sort of the editorial page of that whole deliverance from Egypt, going through the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, Moses says, um, said, you know, God carried you as a father would carry a son. I, I, that, that's just carrying my own girls. And I know how protective we can be. I remember driving our, first do- our, our daughter, our firstborn, our first daughter, uh, home from the hospital. It's 10 below outside up there in Minnesota. And and man, I drove slow, you know, because I had this treasure in this car seat, and you just feel so protective. And so that picture of God saying, I, I carried you through the wilderness like a father would carry a child and just hold and protect. But it's Jesus that kind of unpacks it. I'm going to have you just in a moment, Chase, just react to these verses. Of course, when Jesus taught us to pray, he, he, he didn't say, pray our God. He didn't say, pray our master, pray our Lord, and he's all those things. But when it came to prayer, he said, our Father. That's how you come to him. And, and then Jesus, John, in John, like in the other Gospels, the word Father might appear a couple dozen times, but in John, it appears 109 times. And John just had this close relationship with his heavenly Father. And, and so Jesus just unpacks that relationship he had with his heavenly father. Like John 5, 19, Jesus gave him this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son cannot do by himself, can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. Or John six forty, for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I'll raise him up at the last day. Or that famous John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And uh, he talks about the Holy Spirit in John 14, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, who the Father will send in my name 
will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. And then the last reference to his heavenly father was those famous words as after he rose from the dead, as the father sent me, I am sending you. So, so really this whole, like in the gospels, this whole idea that God is our father is unpacked by Jesus as he says, I'm walking out the experience of having a heavenly father and being obedient to him and I'm inviting you then to have that relationship with the Heavenly Father. Yeah, it's so remarkable to me that when Jesus talks about his relationship with the Father, he doesn't position it as something that he alone possesses or that it's some possession of authority that he has. He invites his disciples into it, as you read, our Father. So it's an invitation. But also when he talks about God as his father, there's almost always a, a submissive quality to it, that it's right. to do the father's will. Um, I think part of what we're, we come to understand about our own fatherhood is before you can be the kind of father that God is calling you to be, you have to learn to be a son yourself. Yeah, that's great. You have to learn how to have a heavenly father that's right. and how to submit yourself to that heavenly father. And when we talk about fatherhood, it's easy to think you know, especially Father's Day, all right, I'm going to do it. More time with my kids. I'm going to be a better dad. I'm going to put the tool belt on. I'm going to get to work. But perhaps the right place to start with becoming a better father is saying, how can I be a better son? How can I, how can I be more submissive to this father I have in heaven? And how can I mature and grow by his leading in such a way that my own children, my spouse, the community where I worship, that are all served better by it? I think fatherhood, like I, I think... I think manhood itself is one of those things that if you aim directly at it, you tend to miss. You get a kind of caricature of it. I want to be a man. I want to be a man. I want to be a father. I want to be a father. I think the thing you should be aiming at is, I want to be like Christ. I want to know God more and be more submissive to God. And one of the reasons the scripture is so often interested, honestly, I use the word character a lot in the book, partly because I wanted people to understand what I was saying, but I think the Bible talks more about fruit than it does character. And I think the reason is those things that you want so desperately to be true in your life, the kind of man you want to be, the kind of father you want to be, those are really the fruit of becoming submissive to God and opening your life up to him doing that work within you. Character really is fruit. You have to, you spend your time and attention worshiping and growing in Christ-likeness and humbling yourself, and then you walk out one day and realize that shoots and ladders game was a little more fun than you thought it was going to be. <laughs> no, you find strat- yourself, <laughs> no strategy to it, though. It you just find yourself me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you find yourself sacrificing in right. some way, maybe yeah. before you wouldn't. You exactly. find yourself present in ways before you wouldn't. You find yourself not needing to prove your masculinity, but just sensing that something he's doing in with, within yeah. you has made you that man that you someday so wanted to be. Um, pursue Christ. That's the thing that produces men, the thing that produces fathers. Yeah. So as we, that's fantastic, as, as we close out, uh, the men in this room, we're going to invite them in a f- couple of moments to come forward, any guy, dad, not a dad, doesn't matter, young, old, any, the, any of you men would like to just have Pastor Chase and me just pray over you as we close, and you're going to invite all the guys who would like just to come and fill this altar area and present ourselves before the Lord. Some of us uh, are still checking this out. Uh, we're not even sure why we're coming to church at all because we haven't bought into all this and we have maybe yet a relationship with Jesus in our future. Uh, some of us have been doing this 10, 20, 30 years, trying to follow the Lord, trying to be what God's called us to be. And 
awful lot in the world to distract us and tempt us and who knows even the secret parts of our lives. And then some of us have walked with the Lord 50 years. And, but what would you say? Like what one thing would you say that would encompass all of us in terms of taking our next step in a deeper sense of sonship with our Heavenly Father? Maybe we could just come back to sort of what we said before too, that God is willing to bear that responsibility. It mm. feels like it's on you. I've got to come forward. I've got to turn over a new leaf. I've got to get my life straightened out. But really all God is asking you to do is let him begin that process. Let him take responsibility for that. Yeah. Let him come down and initiate a conversation with you and point things out in your life. Uh, I often find that we think God is asking far more of us than he actually is. Yeah. He's just asking for an acknowledgement and space to begin working in our life. And he will do that work of making you a better father, of making yeah. you a better man, if you'll just allow him to do it. Um, it really does come back to humility, recognizing yeah. Yeah. a need and a willingness to admit my, submit myself yeah. to the reality that God can do something better in me than I can do on my own. Right. In him, all things are possible. Yeah, that is so powerful and so true often with our congregation it's a different way of living the Christian life than a lot of people have been bred like Christian life immediately becomes keeping rules striving to get everything right rather than staying really attentive to and connected to Jesus and letting Jesus just live, keep showing live up. through us just keep showing up and keep saying I need him I'd like the worship team to come